You know? Before we go so, any further, let's actually yeah. start the episode. <laughs> yeah, we should start the episode. Welcome to the Elevated Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Janessa McKenzie, an intuitive business and mindset coach to inspired, success-driven solopreneurs like you who are ready to show up like a badass boss and create the impact and income they desire. It's my mission to help you see who you were created to be so you can share your gifts with the world and make a difference. My approach to business is not what most would call normal. Thank God, because being weird and unapologetic about it is my jam. On this podcast, we mix the woo with the do to help you create the space, energetics, and strategy to attract the clients and cash you really want while unapologetically showing up as who you are so you can design the business and life you desire from the inside out. So if you're ready to say peace to settling, hiding, half-assing, and dimming your light, and yes to having the abundant, profitable business and life of your dreams without living on the edge of exhaustion and overwhelm, listen up as I hit the BS button on the extremely outdated perception that you need to hustle to be something you're not to be successful. Thank you so much for being here today. Now let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Elevated Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm here today with Jonathan Anton. Jonathan, how are you? I'm well, considering. Great. How are you? Thank you I'm, for having me, by the way. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm I'm well as I'm well as well. <laughs> right. Well as can be. Yeah. yeah. So today, Jonathan, we're just we're gonna talk about some pretty cool stuff because you, you know, we were just talking before, you know, I introduced the episode and you were saying, you know, how people think that you are kind of an overnight success and you were like, what? Uh, and I love that. Right. And, yeah. and that's kind of what happens, right? Like people become, you know, successful or they're, they become a household name or they, you know, show up on TV, like, you know, like you did. And, and people just assume that things just fall into their laps. Oh, I mean, like, you know, the, even the c- celebrities that I've done, like, you know, way back when I did Madonna's hair, like, you know, uh, people called her an overnight success. And she yeah, would yeah. say to people, what the fuck are you talking about? I've been working. I've been singing and dancing for since I was five, you know, or Ricky Martin. Yeah, you know, yeah. I did the video living La Vida Loco with him. I did every video he ever made. Okay. And I, I cut his hair from the middle of his back to that short living La Vida Loca haircut mm. in the trailer, the morning of the video, all of his hair, 14 inches long, all off for the video per Tommy Matola, the head of Sony Latin America yeah. made me do it. Ricky fighting me. And, <laughs> you know, and of course the whole world, when he did the, uh, 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 not the Oscars, but the uh, Grammys, and he sang uh, the World Cup song, Cup of De Oro, and had a standing ovation and won his Grammys. You know, the whole world thought he was, you know, they, they thought he was amazing and he was a star and they knew that he was like Menudo and, yeah. you know, General Hospital. But like the other half of the world, thought oh he's an overnight success you know mm-hmm. living libido loco one hit wonder and it was like you know the guy had been singing in a group since he was like six yeah you know what i mean i mean every single star i did tiger i started doing tiger woods hair when he was 17 
and and he won three junior U.S. Opens and three uh, uh, three junior amateur U uh, Opens and three amateur U.S. Opens, mm. and no one had ever done that. And he did that by the time he was seventeen, eighteen. And through, because I did Kevin Costner's hair, and through Kevin, they were friends. I met Tiger, and he had like a big, huge afro, and I was the first one to give him his like short, handsome Billy D. Williams kind of vibe, you know, yeah. or 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 Will Smith, you know. Um, and and uh, everyone thought he just like, but everybody thought, one yeah, day everybody and, thought yeah. it was like an overnight <laughs> success, and it was like. Okay, look up on the internet and you'll see him hitting a golf ball when he's three years old on the Michael Douglas show. Yeah. And it was the same thing, you know, with Blowout. I mean, granted, reality TV was just getting, I mean, I think we were the third reality show ever Mm. uh, on in the United States, like real reality show, like the restaurant with Rocco mm-hmm. Despirito that aired four months before blowout, same producer, Ben Silverman and queer eye for the straight guy mm-hmm. aired a uh, different producer aired nine months before blowout, uh, which by the way, blowout ended up blowing out <laughs> both of their ratings in the second season. Um, not to say that they both weren't great shows, because they were. Uh, but, I mean, the real world kind of set the bar. You know, MTV's the real world. That yeah. was kind of like what got it going. But there were other reality shows in England and the the UK that were, uh, you know, kind of reality-like uh, that Ben Silverman basically stole or i wouldn't say stole but brought the concepts here and then started them like blowout the restaurant he did he brought the office here uh with steve uh whatever his name is steve uh steve burrell yeah corral Uh, corral corral corral. um quick quick funny story steve corral and i because same producer right reveille entertainment uh, uh, Ben Silverman, um, because we had the same producer, and and Steve was on, uh, the office was on NBC, and Blowout was on Bravo. NBC Universal owned Bravo, so when we did press junkets for our shows, we would do them together, right? Mm. And how about this, me? Steve Carell and Donald Trump would all do <laughs> press junkets together. There you and, go. And yeah, crazy. And even Steve Carell and I even judged the Miss America pageant for Donald because, you know, he owned it. Mm-hmm. And, but our press junkets, you know, we were sort of governed by NBC Universal that we had to be there and we had to do our press junkets and kind of like take pictures together and walk down the red carpet and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, and, and, you know, go, you know, how press junkets are, you go from room to room, all the different networks and, 
uh, in a hotel and, and, you know, some rooms we were together and the weird thing was like blowout at the end of the first season was more well known than the office. And it, 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 we aired it about the same time, but it was like, it was a slower, you know, uh, it, it was just, a, it, it just grew a, a little slower than blowout and blowout hit really big, really fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we'd be together and people would, you know, the photographers would be like, we'd be sitting right next to each other, Jonathan, 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 Jonathan. And Steve would be standing right next to me. And like, you know, the, he, he would look at me and he'd be like, I'm sorry, what is it that you do again for work? <laughs> he would say that to me and I'd say, uh, okay, so I know you're a comedian. So yeah. is that a joke or are you being serious? And he'd say, no, no, no. Well, I'm being serious, but like, I've never seen your show. I don't watch TV. Uh, I'm just, you know, um, but I know your show is about your work, isn't it? It's not like a scripted show. It's unscripted. And I, you know, I tell, I would tell him and he would say, Oh my God. Wow. That's so amazing. Yeah. I have, I, I gotta watch it. You know, my what? And he would say to me, my wife has seen it and she's kind of obsessed with it, but I don't watch shows. I don't even watch my own show. And I'd say, that's funny. I don't even watch my show either. Yeah. Um, I, I never watched one episode of blowout. Uh, I couldn't, but anyway, whatever it, the, the end of the story is like, the paparazzi would be yelling out my name mm. uh, over him. And, you know, he would definitely get a little funky about it. I would sense it. But then obviously, of course, you know, sit five years later, he's like, you know, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, you know what <laughs> I mean? Uh, like larger than life. Uh, as big as it gets you know making you know uh, uh, 20 million dollars a year you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Um, and then more when he started his film career you know Uh, and by the way well worth it I mean genius you know no one's better than Steve Carell you know yeah he's great Uh, and then we ended up members at the same country club lakeside lake lakeside country club here in uh in the valley and uh you know we would see each other hitting balls playing golf and i'd be like hey steve how you doing and he'd look at me and he like do we know each other oh no uh, yeah he did give me one of those and i'd be like yeah it's jonathan remember the hairstylist we did press junkets together and you go, Oh my God, I'm sorry, bro. So rude of me. Um, I apologize. You know, I, I'm not doing that thing. Like I don't, and I'd say, yeah, yeah, yeah it's okay. Don't worry. That's so funny. No big right, deal. So blowout happens. Right. So, and yeah. then things I know. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. Go ahead. Oh no, yeah. you're, that's okay. <laughs> things springboard for you but i want to know about what was going on before blowout tell me how you got to what was out. what was going on before blowout was i mean i started doing hair well i was an actor uh i started acting at 12 years old and uh my brother was 
kind of a successful uh, sort of, uh, not sort of, but a successful actor. He's 10 years older than me. He was in a movie called The Last American Virgin. It was a big sort of like indie hit. Uh, uh, he was in The Accused with Jodie Foster. He played the the college frat boy that like raped her on the pinball machine. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that di- he didn't want to, but they kept forcing him to do it. Mm. Um, he was in Goonies, uh, which, by the way, they're doing a remake. And oh my god, that's exciting! I, <laughs> I know. I think he's going to be in it. Awesome. Um, He's been in, you know, he was in several movies and he was like, he was in, he was in that magazine Teen Idol all the time. Mm. Uh, Although he wasn't a teenager, he looked like a teenager and 10 years older than me, uh, you know, obviously still, but looks 10 years younger than me still. Um, (laughs) uh, Or maybe doesn't look 10 years younger still, but he looks about, we look about the same age now. Um, Cause he's really into the, like, you know, looking young. I, me, I don't give a shit. So it is what it is, you know? So he got uh, you into um, acting? I, no, my mother got me into acting because she wanted me to, she just always was, you know, thought my mom's British and uh, she was always, she was in the entertainment industry and she was always like, you know, you're, you're the, you're better looking, you're bigger, you're going to be taller, you're, you know, darker, he's lighter, he was kind of blondish, and short, and I was, you know, dark, and whatever, uh, you know, a little taller, and she just thought, like, I was the bigger, better version of him, and, uh, and, by the way, she was right, and, uh, But I studied acting and went on auditions and I got a couple of little small roles, but like nothing groundbreaking, uh, you know, and a few commercials and, you know, by the, and, 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 and I had Bob Lamond as my manager who was uh, John Travolta, Mickey Rourke and Patrick Swayze's manager. And he, he picked me up. He signed me because he was he knew my mother and my mother sent me in and he he kind of fell in love with me and I fell in love with him and you know like in a in a you know professional way obviously and uh he's since passed uh but he was a genius I mean think about it he found John Travolta and Mickey Rourke and Patrick Swayze you yeah. know what I mean yeah. he discovered them yeah um and everybody thought like i was the new young patrick swayze you know all the casting directors and i was steve anton's little brother and i was you know i was gonna make it it was bound to happen you know the younger brother thing like rob lowe and his brother and you know whatever yeah uh, uh, charlie sheen and emilio and, and oh, that, they uh, get the whole family going over there yeah yeah uh, you know, and my sister also was kind of uh, making a move and acting and she was a dancer and Robin, obviously, you know who my sister is. She owned the Pussycat Dolls. Mm. She created the Pussycat Dolls. She was one of them. And then 
she signed a deal with Jimmy Iovine and then she pulled herself out of the band and just became the owner, partner and manager uh, with uh, Jimmy Iovine. Mm. Um, and then she also had a reality show, The Search for the Next Pussycat Doll. But she started on my show in the finale of season two as the host which I fought for because they wanted an actress. And I said, no, I want Miss, I want Robin to do it. Mm. And, uh, and then the CW, uh, my brother pitched a show to the CW about the Pussycat Dolls. And then she had her own show. Anyway, you know, that was, I started out as an actor. And uh, just one day I went on this audition for this one uh, movie of the week called the return of Peyton, Peyton, the return of Peyton place mm. and it was it was a big deal uh, it was a Motown film production and uh, I got three callbacks on it and it was pretty much a, it was pretty much a lock like I had landed my first role mm-hmm. um, I even got paid. For the third callback uh, back then, or I don't know if you still do, but back then, if you had three callbacks with the director, you got paid. And all of a sudden I got called from Lois, who was Bob's, you know, left hand, uh, not right hand, but left hand. And she said, you know what? I'm so sorry, Jonathan. I th- we all thought you had it, but and the casting director loves you and she wants to see you for everything and you're going to make it, but they just felt like you were a little too green. Like mm-hmm. you looked apart. Uh, you, 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 you were amazing. We saw the video, but your voice was just a little too high for the role. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, I was 16 and I was, trying out i I was uh auditioning for a role of an 18 year old and um you know i was taller i mean i'm not you know uh six two but you know i'm five eleven and you know uh, i think i was about five ten at 16 and you know i I was kind of buff you know i played ice hockey and football and uh kind of a tough guy you know Mm -hmm. um but she said, I didn't get it. And I went home and I said, mom, I'm sorry. I know this is really going to bum you out, but I'm over it. I don't want to act anymore. I don't want my career in the palm of someone else's hands. Mm. And, and these casting directors all have, have their heads up their asses and they don't <laughs> know what they're talking about because if they had given me that this role, I would have been better than anybody else. And I don't even know who they gave it to, but it eventually, you know, did air and uh, it didn't even do that well, you know, but whatever, it would have been a big role for me. And uh, I quit acting and, and, you know, I studied with, I studied at the Beverly Hills Playhouse with Milton Caselis, one of the greatest acting coaches of all times. Like, it was impossible to get into the Beverly Hills Playhouse and Bob Lamont got me in and I studied with like, like Tom Cruise was there a couple of times while I was there. Like I did scenes with like major, 
major movie stars, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt like I was going to make it. And, you know, the ironic thing about it all was that all I wanted was to work and be an actor. And then I became a hairstylist and ended up on television. I was going to say the universe right. had different, exactly. uh, different plans yeah. for you. So I, 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 and I ended up being a hairstylist. It's way too long of a story. It's all, it, it would be like a, a three part episode, uh, <laughs> a podcast, if, uh, uh, or, or, you know, uh, Well, the bottom line really is, is that you worked your ass off, right? I worked my ass off. I I walked into a beauty school one day to pick up my grandmother having her hair done. And uh, I drew a picture of some of of a girl's head of hair on on the chalkboard while I was waiting for her. And the guy who ran the school, he looked like a a male Marilyn Monroe. Uh, uh, literally, and and sounded like Harvey Firestein. He, he talked like this. He, he was like from uh, Long Island. He walked up to me and he said, "Oh my God, you're amazing. You got hands of an angel." He said, "Mrs. Gella, who was my grandmother, Mrs. Gella, is this your grandson?" And she said, uh, "She was British." She said, "Yes, it is. It's my, you know, uh, and I'm so sorry." Uh, I know he's drawing on the board and uh, he shouldn't have been doing that. That's horrible. But he's, you know, he's got a loud mouth and he, he doesn't listen to anybody and he's a busybody. and I'll never bring him back again. You can't take him anywhere. And he said to her, no, it's okay. He's all right. He's let's look, look at him. He's gorgeous and he can draw. He's like Michelangelo. And he looked at me and he goes, he looked at me and he goes, have you ever seen the movie Shampoo with Warren Beatty? And I said, no, dude, I've never seen that movie. And uh, I don't know anything about uh, a movie Shampoo. And he said, he's a hairdresser. He's got all the girls in the world. You need to be like him. You look like him. You talk like him. Uh, you, uh, but he can't draw like you. You should be a hairstylist. Forget about being, cause I said to him, I wanted, I was studying to be an actor. He said, forget about that nonsense acting. You need to be making people beautiful. It's much, you need to be making people beautiful. It's much more, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever. You know, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. Fulfilling. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought about it for a couple of weeks. I, I saw the movie and I was like, yeah, that looks good to me. I can do that. Mm. and uh you know all the chicks and this and that and you know <laughs> i was like that's cool and again i was only 17 and i thought about it for a few weeks and i called him back and uh he gave me his card and i called him up and i started at marinello's uh fairfax beauty academy uh on melrose and fairfax when i was 17 and and I knew a lot of big hairstylists in in West Hollywood and Beverly Hills because my family was in the in the industry. Yeah. So they all went to good hairstylists. And I was my mom always had like somebody good cutting my hair. So I knew a lot of them. So as soon as I started beauty school, like all the big hairstylists that my family knew, like they all were like, oh, my God, Jonathan. 
the minute you graduate, you have to start here. We, we have to have you, you can't work anywhere else. And, uh, so, you know, I already had an in and, you know, I, uh, and I was also, I also knew Vidal Sassoon. I went to high school with Katia and Eden and I used to cut their hair while I was in beauty school, right in front of Vidal in their kitchen. And Mm. that was a whole other nightmare story, uh, even though I loved him and he was a genius, but (laughs) you know. He would look, I would do a haircut on uh, Katya and he would, uh, sweating, shaking. And I turn around, I'd say, uh, so Mr. Sassoon, uh, do you, did you like the haircut? Do you think I did it right? You know, I kind of did your, your long layer drape shape, C shaping haircut. And he would say to me, yeah, it's all right. It's all <laughs> right. It's not bad. Keep your, uh, keep, uh, 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 we'll see what happens after you graduate. Uh, and I'd say, uh, he's, he, no, he would say, and he would say, we'll see what happens after you get your permit. And I'd mm. say, well, actually it's called a license in California, not a permit, <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Don't worry about it. Vidal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, of course I, you know, 15 years later, mm. I was doing work that, you know, I mean, I was the least likely to succeed when I started as a hairstylist. Like I was not great. You know, I could draw my dad. My dad was a, a an artist by trade and went to Pratt in New York and, you know, educated artist. And uh, so I could draw, you know, it was in my blood and I could sculpt, I could paint, I could do anything with my hands, but like cutting hair was a whole other thing because wow. like it just was different you know like what i could do was like 2d and two and a half d dimensional yeah uh, cutting hair was 3d and kind of 4d because you cut it in one place and drop it and it goes to a, you know it's like a different thing so to translate what i could do on paper and on clay to someone's head was very difficult but one day a light went off i kind of figured it out you know uh, the concept of gravity kind of came into my head and i was like oh my god i get it (laughs) i get it i get it i know what they mean i know what he means i see what vidal's talking about i'm gonna blow them all out of the fucking water and you know (laughs) i kind of listen i took all their uh theories and methods and put it all into one and made it my own and you know i think to this day uh you know my skill level uh rivals uh, listen I, I i've never said to anyone i'm the best hairstylist in the world but i've always said there is absolutely fucking no way in the world there's anybody better mm. So and that's that, a fact. That's an important point right there too. So you just said yeah. that you know, like you made it your own and you know, you can learn, right? We can all learn from somebody that's already there. That's already where we want to be. But until you take something that you've learned and then give it your own twist, your own flair, your own whatever it is, it's not yours until you do that, right? And like Absolutely. 
One hundred percent. Yeah, you have you to learn. You have to be teachable. Even today, listen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even today, I watch YouTube videos. You know, occasionally, um, like, you know, I, 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 when I started doing hair, I did everything: color, cut, chemicals, you, you name it. And um, hold on, should I wait for the plane to pass? It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um. You know, back then, we everybody, all hairstylists did everything. Only, you know, 15, 20 years ago did the concept of departmentalization and specializing come into play in the world of hair, mm-hmm. as well as like, uh, you know, uh, cosmetic uh, surgery and dentistry, you know, like and anything, surgeon, really. all, you know, we, we all did everything back in the day. Today, Everybody specializes. And so I stopped coloring hair and started only cutting for like 25 years and uh, the last 20, 25 years. So um, do you think that helped? Well, I mean, yes and no. Yeah, it definitely helped me hone my skills in cutting because I wasn't coloring. But um, what I was going to say is, you know, when COVID hit, And over the years, you know, I've had people like demand that I used to do that I used to color 25 years ago, like beg me to do their color when one of my colorists that I gave them to was out of town, they would beg me and I would like, okay, uh, you know, break down, I'll do I'll do it just for fun. I'll do one, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it was always, you know, over the last 25 years doing like one or two or three a year, it was fun, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I used to do 12 a day, mm. of, you know, 12 heads a day of color and 12 haircuts a day, you know, um, uh, when, you know, when I obviously 25 years ago. So, you know, when COVID hit, it changed the whole industry of hair and, I mean, I don't even want to get into what in California or especially L.A. County with the shutdowns right now. It's crazy what's going on. Like hairstylists are still busy. They're still doing house calls. They're still they're actually even making more money. A lot of hairstylists are doing house calls, pocketing their own money. And by the way, collecting unemployment at the same time. (laughs) Not so not not so, you know, ethically and morally sound. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but not saying that mine are, but there's a lot of them. The majority of them are. Yeah. But uh, a lot of clients don't want, and, and listen, some salon owners are sneaking people into their hair salons and boarding up their windows and still doing, taking clients in their salons. And it's so illegal and you can be sh- like, totally shafted and busted and lose your license Mm. so you know obviously i'm not doing that but you know me and my hairstylist we're all doing house calls but a lot of my clients have said to me you know listen jonathan you know i really need my color done but like right now i don't want a whole you know entourage here can you please do my color and you know it's these are not easy colors. And when you haven't done it in 20 years, mm. uh, you know, like colors have changed, line, color lines have changed. 
everything has changed. Yeah. The techniques have changed. Balayage, like I, I did my own type of balayage 30 years ago that was different. Today, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, painting it on like that. Like no one did that back in the, you know, then we all, it was all foil, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I've had to like kind of learn overnight how to like these new techniques and obviously I can do them, you know, because like I I have colorists who do them and I see and I know how it's done and, you know, I I know color and chemicals. So it's not hard for me to like see it done once and know it right away. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not like, you know, it's like I've always said, it's not the arrow, it's the Indian. You know what I mean? So like, you know, it's not like, it's not the actual color. It's, 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 it's how you put it on and the placement and the color you choose and all those things are, you know, really easy to figure out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so anyway, I've had to start doing color again, you know, which by the way, my colorists are upset about because a lot of clients, not many, taken like all my clients back, but like, you know, a good couple of handfuls of clients have had me start doing their color again. And by the way, I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun, you know, cause yeah. you know, it's added like a, another element back into the world of hair for me. And it's been spicy. why not, you know, yeah, it's cool. You know, and, <laughs> you know, it helps me like, you know, like paint the whole picture again, like I used to when I first started, you know, mm-hmm. instead of painting half the picture, and like instead of build it like it's it's how like when i educate it's i refer to hair cutting as like building a home you know it's like you build the home then you hand the home to a uh interior designer and a painter and they uh paint the house and and make it look pretty like then that's what a colorist does you know yeah. and cutting hair is very architectural you know and uh now i've been able to kind of like you know, fulfill that sort of, you know, that sort of hole that I've had for the last 25 years when I'm, you know, yelling at my colorists or, you know, in the back room, like, no, that's not what I want. Or, yeah, I know you want to do that, but that's not what she wants. And that's not what I want. So just do fucking what I want. Yeah. And <laughs> I will, con- uh, uh, you know, like, and we'll this all is be happy. Right. And, and everybody will be happy. But if you don't do what I, you know, and listen, I let my people do what they want to do. I don't tell them what to do, but, um, you know, there's some, you know, hairstylists are not the easiest and hair colorists. They're not the easiest people in the world to deal with. Well, there are so, yeah. Any artist, you know, we're all, and neither am I, we're all a pain in the ass, you know, so um, we're all nightmares. So, you know, anyway, all right. So I know. Started, so you, you know, did hair. It, how long did you work in other salons before you said, you know what, screw this, I'm going out on my own? I got my license uh, just before my 18th birthday. Um, I did my apprenticeship under a guy named Arthur John uh, from 18 to 20 at a salon called Arthur John's in West Hollywood on Santa Monica Boulevard and uh, Westbourne, one, one block from La Cienega. And at 24, 
and I and then I uh, I went on the floor there after two years and started cutting hair, and then I bounced around for a year or two. Uh, about two years cutting hair at Carlton Hair in the Beverly Center and teaching and educating. And they sent me to South Africa to teach their hairstylists over there. And uh, I taught a little bit at Sassoon. And then all of a sudden, Arthur John went under and the receptionist, uh, who was uh, the late Ron Neiman, who uh, also passed um, was wonderful. And he called me and, and was very much like Mr. Mike from my beauty school from Long Island or Ron was from <laughs> Staten Island. He called me, had the exact same accent, Jonathan, <clears throat> author went under and you need to pack your shit and get back here. Cause we're going to lose the salon and <laughs> you don't come back. It's over everybody's leaving you're the only one that can like keep everybody here all right so just get back here and i was like ron i'm not coming back there i did my time there you know it's just not happening you know like uh i have my own world now you know i'm not arthur's uh uh slave anymore you know and although i loved arthur and i still do and arthur's still doing hair um you know, I, I mean, I, I, I learned my first celebrity hair with them doing Ava and Zsa Zsa Gabor's wigs and mm. Tina Turner's wigs and, and uh, Diane Carroll and uh, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John during Greece. Uh, Arthur did their hair. So, like, you know, I had all that exposure to that to the industry. So. I, listen, uh, you know, I owe my career and my life to Arthur. And in fact, when I, so end of the story, I come back to Arthur John, the salon goes under, Arthur sells it and leaves to these two weirdo investors from Canada that thought they were going to move to LA and, you know, buy a hair salon and, and be around celebrities, the weirdest couple you've ever met in your life. And, they didn't pay any rent. So the landlord threw them out and I went to the landlord and I was 23 and, uh, turning 24. Uh, and I said to this other guy, Ron, the landlord, I said, listen, I have some money saved up. I was going to buy a one bedroom condo, my first piece of property. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'll give it to you. And I mean, it was like nothing. I had like 10 grand, you know, mm. and I said, but I'll give it to you. And, uh, hopefully that'll, you know, like pay what they owed you and the, a deposit for me to rent the space. And it was cheap, but it was a big 3,500 square foot salon, you know? Mm. And, uh, so like overnight I picked, he, he said, okay. I picked up the phone. I called all my friends that were hairstylists in LA and said, guess what? You don't have to work in that fucking prison anymore. Come work for me. I have my own salon now. I just bought Arthur John's and freedom is like in our future. So mm -hmm. come work for me. And I was a real like hair. I was a, I, I was a real hairstylist salon owner, you know, because I did hair. So like 
I made sure that everyone that worked with me, not for me, but with me, mm -hmm. uh, made money like I made money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I wanted my, my stylists to be homeowners and drive nice cars and have nice things. So, you know, I had my first salon at 24 for 22, 20, yeah, 23 years, um, literally. And it was on blowout. The West Hollywood salon was on blowout. The blowout mm. was about me obviously opening the Beverly Hills salon, um, which was real, but you know, I kind of did it for camera, uh, yeah. but, but it was real. It was a real salon. I really hired everyone and, you know, it was a real moneymaker. I mean, it was a real salon. Um, so what but, were the biggest like surprises to you when you opened the salon? Like, uh, as a new business owner. Well, first like, of all, like, first of all, I had no <laughs> idea how to run a business. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, day one, I begged Ron Cates to give me the lease. Let me assume, take over the lease and, uh, take my cash that was like, you know, under my mattress <laughs> and, uh, like the West Hollywood sheriff came to the salon and they had to evict and evacuate the, everyone from the premises for not like five minutes before they could then turn before Ron could turn the premises, the property over to me oh. uh, because they still had the lease. And although they hadn't paid, you know, they had, um, uh, 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 not defrauded, but uh, almost it's such a loss for words right now. They hadn't paid their rent, right? Yeah. So they had uh, uh, whatever their lease. Uh, what's it called? Yeah, I oh don't know, God. but I know what you're talking. Yeah, like whatever. they had to give they it up. Yeah, they, they they didn't pay their rent, so uh, he 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 was able to evict them, and uh, like uh, we the West Hollywood sheriff like made it came to the salon and uh threw everybody out and uh made uh the owner's wife uh like pack her purse and leave and wouldn't let her take the computers or anything in the salon and it was like a nightmare and she called her husband and her husband was like yelling and screaming and i'm coming down there and the cops said if you come here you're going to jail so our recommendation is you stay where you are because we're letting your wife leave and mr anton is the new owner of the salon and that's it so don't even bother coming here because it's a it's a lose lose situation. So he didn't show up. The West Hollywood Sheriff locksmith changed the locks, handed me the key, and said, "Welcome to West Hollywood, Mister Anton. Good, <laughs> good luck with your good luck with your new business." And mm. the landlord was right there, and the cops were right there, and we had three hairstylists there. Uh, myself and two other hairstylists and Ron, the receptionist and Daisy, our housekeeper at the time. And uh, we were all standing out on the sidewalk, literally, <laughs> you know, like, and uh, uh, two of the clients had foils in their hair. And I kept saying to the cop, Hey, uh, the sheriff, I said, uh, I'm sorry, uh, officer, like she has chemicals on her head. So mm -hmm. like, 
like her, if, if, we're, if we stay out here any longer, she's going to have like a, a, a hole burned in her head mm. and you're going to have a lawsuit like against West Hollywood. So I would highly recommend you let us back in there and shampoo her hair out. And he was like, yeah. I know, I know, I know. Like one more minute. Okay. We just got to make sure uh, everything's done by the book. So guy drilled out the locks changed the locks handed me the key good luck blah 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 we walked in and the phone rang as we all walked up the stairs and you know it was like three clients and three hairstylists and you know uh uh uh, two employees and we're all in the reception area at the same time like wow this is amazing (laughs) oh my god so what just happened yeah what just happened it was was crazy and the phone rang and ron looked at me and said jonathan jonathan he was was always yelling i said what he said the phone's ringing i said well fucking answer it (laughs) yeah but what do you want me to say what do you want me to call well how do i answer it it's not Arthur john's anymore and i was like just pick up the fucking phone and say thank you for calling jonathan salon can i help you and that, and that moment was the beginning of my career, nice. that moment. And he picked up the phone and said, thank you for calling Jonathan Salon. Can I help you? And, you know, that was it. Right. And uh, I was, you know, like tripping, you know, like, yeah. oh, my God, how the fuck am I going to pay this rent? How am I going to? And, you know, I had paid like six months rent in advance, but like I didn't know, you know, how I was going to pull this off. And, you know, like I said, I called all my hairstylist friends and they all came over. And, you know, within a year, it was my salon was like one of the first big celebrity salons in Hollywood. Jonathan Salon was definitely one of the biggest. And that's why Ben Silverman from Blowout, our producer, came to me because he, you know, everybody kind of knew about my salon. Mm. And if it wasn't me that they knew about doing celebrity hair, it was Sally Hirschberger worked for me. Mm. And she did like Tom Cruise and Meg Ryan. And I did, you know, uh, whatever i did i did like aerosmith and and bon jovi and way back then you know uh and i would do meg sometimes and uh uh i did like a different uh, group i I, katie lang and sandra bernhardt and Mm. you know we all just and it was very weird we all it was very incestuous uh, hair back in the day where we all would like uh, celebrities would jump from stylist to stylist. And by the way, it's still that way, you know? Yeah. Um, so you took so, a total leap of faith, like total leap really of faith. Think about it at all. You just did it. I just did it. I mean, I saw how Arthur did it and Arthur mm-hmm. was the worst businessman in the world, even though he had, <clears throat> he had the salon for 22 years and, and it, ran really well but like he was all about hair he didn't give a shit about you know being a businessman and just let everybody work the way they wanted to work there was like no structure in our salon it wasn't like a sassoon or and when i took over i kind of ran it the same way but i implemented a little bit of structure because i you know 
I had that from Carlton and Sassoon and, uh, but I had the freedom in my salon that other salons didn't have that Arthur also had before he went under. So I had like the perfect mix Mm. and therefore I had, or hence I had like maybe 1% turnover rate in like 20 years. Like I, I think I had two hairstylists come and go over 20 years literally like nobody that came to my salon quit no i mean i fired a few people but like <laughs> no, but not that many you know what i mean yeah. only people that like you know it just wasn't happening but like everybody that came to jonathan's salons it was it was very hotel california once mm. you you can check in anytime you like but you can never leave yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean yeah but absolutely but it was for good reason. They didn't leave because they loved it and couldn't get it better anywhere else, you know? Yeah. So I took uh, that leap of faith and it was like, okay, I got to be a businessman now. I got to figure this shit out. So, you know, I bought books on like how to run a business and, uh, you know, uh, 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 how to set up a corporation. And, you know, uh, of course, you know, I, I had lawyers and, you know, helped me do it, but like, I really did my own due diligence and, uh, investigating and studying and educated myself about running a business and how to manage money, uh, like from day one of, owning the salon i immediately taught myself about money because here's another thing i dropped out of high school in like 11th grade you know i didn't uh, graduate high school um i went and took the ged later on but like uh the proficiency exam but like i didn't go to college or any of that i mean i, I went to smc and took a few college classes courses but like you know for art and other shit you know um uh, but like i really i've always considered myself extremely uneducated you know uh and i'm speaking like comparatively you know i was gonna say like Uh, book book wise book wise academically you know uh, Yeah. yeah like you know, I, I didn't graduate high school. I didn't go to college. And people that uh, are my clients, or, uh, associates, friends, uh, partners, like, you know, they have incredible uh, academic histories and uh, backgrounds. And, you know, uh, I, I'm street smart. And, you know, uh, you know, I basically learned everything I know from the streets, you know. From experience. Uh, from actually. I mean from the streets and then i from experience uh by uh i don't know if i could say by proxy or by uh because i had to i had no choice thrown into the deep end (laughs) yeah that's it you know so what about personally because i know I mean, even for me and for a lot of other people that I've talked to that have started their own businesses, that it it changes you personally. And you, did you have, did you dive deep into like personal development or did you 
did it did it evolve in a natural way do you think you haven't even really done anything in personal like tell me about that do you mean like emotionally i mean like kind of looking in at yourself getting to know yourself a little bit better and going holy shit like (laughs) you know what if anything it kind of pulled me away from that really you know because i was yeah because i was so busy Mm. and there was such an urgency i i had i felt such an urgency to succeed Mm. and failure was not an option you know i came from no money um i've always said like you know my mother and father are still alive today thank god my mom's not well but she's a fighter and she's still going Mm. uh but like God forbid if my mother and father were to pass today, I, w- w- my two brothers and my sister and I would owe money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. There would be debt. Um, and they're always, you know, uh, it's always been that way. My mom and dad were never rich. You know, they've always done <clears throat> well and had nice things and, but they, I've always spent every penny they've made, you know, there was never any savings or, you know, life insurance policies, or, I mean, I don't know if there is, but like, you know, all my friends all had wealthy, well-to-do parents, doctors and lawyers and grew up rich in Beverly Hills. And we were born in the Valley and moved to Malibu and then moved to Beverly Hills, but like in apartments and small houses and, you know, there was no money in my family and even my grandparents on both sides, you know, like there was never money in my family. And, you know, I just felt this urgency to, uh, make, to make that change, you know, to sort of, uh, start a a, a new lease on life, you know what I mean? And be, the first one to kind of do it right, you know? Yeah. Kind of like breaking the cycle. Like that's not how you wanted to break the cycle. Exactly. And and, leave a leg. By the way, I did, you know, like I was, I bought my salon at 24. I bought my first house at 25 and, um, you know, only, only had the salon for a year. And it was like, like I said, it was like a cash cow, you know, and, uh, I bought my first house at 25, uh, for $212,000 in Beechwood Canyon and sold it two years later for $500,000. And then I bought my house in, uh, the bird streets, kind of like Truesdale estates up sunset and Doheny. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, where are you? Are you in California? No, I'm in Boston. Oh, I love Boston. Oh my <laughs> God. I do. I love Boston. I hate the winter in Boston, but I yeah, love that's, Boston. That's where we are right now. Winter in Boston. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, actually, I don't hate it. It's just, there's Cold. nowhere in the world that, like even New York, you know, I, I, I went to New York for 20 years every eight weeks and uh, for five days and did hair mm. and um, 20 years, every eight weeks, five days. And 
you know, those winters were fucking brutal. (laughs) And I'm a California boy. You know what I mean? Like that cold, uh, like I didn't, uh, when I first started going there, I didn't know from that cold and Mm. where, where it hurts your bones. But when I started going to Boston, oh my God, it was like, (laughs) That's cold in the marrow of your bones, not your bones, you know, yeah. how that cold gets inside of your body. I don't even know. It I was know, just I... like, it was beyond me. And I, you know, anyway, whatever. I still love Boston. You know, I've always said like, do you know that I've always said if I started my career in Boston, I would have made 10 times as much money uh if i if the same thing would have happened with blowout and the product line and you know uh and i had the same success that i had in la if i had that similar success in boston not necessarily new york but maybe like if i was in long island or you know, or, or, or on the, you know, upstate New York, but not Manhattan, you know, cause it was already happening there. But like, I just always knew like, you know, even, you know, uh, the Carolinas, you know, if I was in like North Carolina or, you know, Nashville or Boston or anywhere else, I would have made 10 times as much money. And uh, I, I would have, invested my money way more wisely than I ever did here because, you know, it's just like, listen, I I did well and, you know, I invested well, but like I spent well too. And I've always believed that if I was in another state, um, I wouldn't have spent the way I spent and lived so lavishly the way I lived and I would have been smarter with my money but in LA you know you kind of had to like to you know you you had to sort of keep up with the Joneses you know what I mean so and I did save you know like I said I did you know start that new cycle in my family and change you know directions and and do things differently um and you know i have a 15 year old and a 13 year old 15 year old son and 13 year old daughter today and you know they both went to private school and and i've gone to private school since day one and they're both straight a students they're both rock star athletes He's a water polo player and a parkour martial arts expert. Wow. And literally like parkour, like flipping, yeah, that's jumping cool. off of roofs, jumps over fucking cars. It's crazy. <laughs> um, she's a rock star uh, volleyball player. Like, and I'm talking about like they're some of the best in the country at their age in their age groups and she's a rock star dancer because of my sister and she's kind of just has it in her blood and she's like picasso like she can draw like better than i can at 13 um so they're both geniuses and they both like literally like my kids have never even had like 
I mean, they have, but like I always say to people, my kids have never even had a fucking Coca-Cola. You know what I mean? Like as much as my kids have never even had as much as uh, as a coca-cola like that no trouble no drugs no weird things no like you know they're not like nightmares like i was like getting arrested <laughs> and get smoking weed and cutting class and you know uh, running around like a adolescent you know teenage adolescent you know nightmare um my kids about money what's that do you teach them about money yeah i mean i teach them a little bit about money but i teach them more about being kind and being good people you know um and also you know like i i coach them when they were younger in sports which i always tell every father to do with their children whether you are an athlete or not you know I grew up an athlete playing ice hockey and football and you know I played everything and yeah. uh you know I did not a coach when my kids were five and six and seven when they started you know getting into sports but like I learned how to coach I bought books how to be a coach you know how to be a a dad coach how to coach seven-year-olds and six-year-olds and you know uh and for that reason today when you walk into their bedrooms they still have like their corners of the rooms with all their trophies and all their photos Mm -hmm. of you know all the teams that they were on from six years old to 10 years old and then after 10 you know they they start getting coached by uh real coaches and school coaches but like from six to ten for four years they were both playing two or three sports a year and i was coaching both of them in both sports so it was like like two full-time fucking jobs yeah, plus that's fun though isn't well it was it was a it was a lot of fun, but, and I loved my kids, like them and my, you know, my other, their teammates, they were all like my kids, you know, and their parents loved me. I was coach Jonathan, you know, for four or five years. And if you go look in their bedrooms, like every single picture, every team picture, you know, like they have like probably 12 to 15 over four years team pictures on their walls and every one of them has me in the picture as the coach so when their friends come over and see these pictures and their dads didn't coach them there's always that feeling i can sense it like they look at the picture and they see me in it they look at all the pictures and all their first place trophies like you know 20 of them you know what i mean first place in golf basketball baseball Mm. soccer volleyball swimming you know everything you know Uh, listen i was even a break dancer when i was growing up and (laughs) i taught my daughter how to dance you know before robin did but still it's like it's something that i did that like my wife recommended that i do and uh because she saw other dads doing it and 
and said, you should try doing this, honey, because you're a good athlete and you'd be a great coach. And I was like, no, I won't. I have no idea how to coach. I can play any sport in the world uh, really well. Uh, I mean, there was a time that I thought I was going to go turn pro in golf. And I thought I was going to be a pro ice hockey player if I didn't make it as an actor. And it didn't quite work out that way because it's a whole other thing being great and being uh, good enough to play pro, you know, Mm. Um, I was always great, but never good enough to play pro Uh, maybe uh, golf, but I, you know, you also had to be come grow up in a different lifestyle and I didn't grow up in that lifestyle, you know? So anyway, uh, you know, it, listen, just getting back to the question, like, did, you know, personally, did it change me? Like I would, I was so afraid of failure and, uh, and equally as afraid of success mm. that like, I just dove into it. Like, didn't think about it, like without even thinking about it, but like not head first, but like, I always say with all four feet, you know what I mean? Mm. Like I just dove in man. And it wasn't even a leap of faith. Like it was a fucking cannonball of faith. <laughs> and it was a you nuclear know what I mean? bomb of faith. <laughs> it was a nuclear fucking bomb of faith, you know, with, with napalm in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there was no chance in hell I was going to fail. And, uh, you know, I mean, I will say that, like, you know, everybody has to have a little bit of luck every now and then. And Ben Mm -hmm. Silverman coming to me and asking me to do uh, this thing called a reality show Mm -hmm. uh, was, you know, I thought he was full of shit and he wanted a free haircut. Um, (laughs) That's what I thought. You know, and um, I didn't know who he was. And, and quite frankly, I didn't care because it's like, you know, I did all the biggest stars in the world. So like the guy, salesman, you know, producer pitching me, I didn't give a shit about who he was or what he was telling me. Or, and I didn't know anything about reality TV. I never even saw the real, real world, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh you know, that definitely was a big, you know, uh, I mean, that helped tremendously, you know, it was the biggest billboard in the world for me, but do do I think I would have been equally as successful without blowout? Um, Today, looking back, I'll be honest with you, I think I would have been more successful. Mm. Um, I think I would have ended up making more money in the long run and I would have handled things more wisely. Um, blowout made everything happen much faster and in a much more accelerated fashion. Um, I made much more money, much quicker, bottom line. Um, and I how think was that? Was that like, uh, oh shit, I, what do I do with this? Like, yeah, yeah, a little bit, but you know, I had 
you know, I, don't forget, like I was doing the hair of all these big stars and behind the camera. So like, you know, all of a sudden when the camera turned on me and, you know, like, you know, uh, just one example, the day that I was doing Ricky Martin's hair uh, for Live in La Vida Loca, um, or no, 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 I'm sorry, for She Bangs, not Live in La Vida Loca, after Blowout aired, we were at Sony Studios and I'm giving him a haircut and, you know, we're walking to the set and people were walking by and not saying hi Ricky can I have your autograph but saying hey Jonathan hi how are you is there any way you could sign my uh uh uh, my purse or my the back of my shirt like literally asking me for my autograph with Ricky Martin like they didn't even know who he was some of these people they didn't even know who he was you know this was after living La Vida Loca but it was like you know they were like you know uh grips and uh you know uh uh uh, lighting guys and girls and you know whatever it was like yeah. you know it was really weird so but but I was used to it because I was with all the celebrities for that long and uh so you know I had become accustomed to the lifestyle now was I ready for it no uh you know after the first season of blowout uh you know, it, it, it had aired and obviously in LA, you know, people were kind of tripping. I had a huge billboard, like, or I had a, like a hundred huge billboards all over LA and posters up and, you know, like all over the bus stops and the sides of buses and all over New York and the subways. And, and this was the first season, you know, it was all over America and, then the second season the show sold to 40 countries and in the third season it sold to like another 20 countries but after the first season and the UK you know we flew internationally uh to canada to you know wherever just everywhere uh yeah. south america um puerto rico and venezuela and everywhere i went there were literally like thousands of people in the fucking airports waiting yeah. for me because the the press there uh leaked it or you know my rpr here in la leaked it everywhere we were flying and like we we literally flew to australia to do uh uh press on the uh the uh release of blowout Mm -hmm. um and it aired there a a year later than it aired here but a year after um and when we were getting off the plane the guy uh the security guy that was with us we got off the plane and he met us at the door and he was like Oh, Jonathan. All right, mate. Yeah. Hey, I love your show. My wife, she watches the show constantly. She watches it all day and all night. It's, it's unbelievable, mate, what you've done for the world of hair 
is like nothing else. Uh, there's no other show like you, mate. And by the way, I hate to ask you, but is there any way I can get a signature? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, uh, and then I just have to warn you, uh, there's quite a few people out there waiting for you. And they've all got, got pictures of you. And, you know, they've got their shoppies out. And, uh, and I was like, okay. And this was our first trip. The first place we went was Australia. And we had flown to New York and, you know, all over, all over America, uh, you know, several different states. And it was kind of a big deal. But there weren't people in the airports. But when we fucking flew to Australia... That I said to the guy, okay, wait, what do you mean, man? What do you mean there's people in the airport waiting for me? And he said, oh, mate, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? He goes, oh, there's like 10,000 people out there, mate. Oh, my gosh. I said, what? What do you mean there's 10,000 people out there? What, what, doing what? He goes, they're <laughs> waiting. He goes, oh, mate, they want to see you. They love you, Jonathan. They've been watching you for, for they've been watching your show 24 hours. 24 hours a day, all day and night. People are, go, are going crazy for you here. You're like bloody Elvis. And I was like, uh, okay, like, wait. Take me home. <laughs> I was like, okay, wait a second. I, I, I can't go. There's no way. And I turned to my uh, PR chick and I was like, sweetheart, uh, there, you didn't tell me any of that and this is not cool like i'm not going out there with 10 fucking thousand people out there like i'm, I'm not a rock star i'm a hairstylist you know what i mean i'm not a movie star that, uh, i don't know how to deal with shit like that and she was like jonathan you'll be okay and i said to the uh security guy and my pr person i said okay here's the deal though if i go out there <clears throat> you're not putting up a rope and separating all these people from me and every single person that has a photo and a Sharpie and wants my signature is getting one. Um, I'm not walking through a crowd of people uh, handing, you know, sticking out photos like my celebrities do and walk right by them and smile and wave and get in the car and leave. I'm yeah. not going to do what they do. Everybody that wants a signature is in a picture is getting a signature and a picture with me. So if we're here, if there's really 10,000 people out there, we're going to be here, like, you know, get comfy. Yeah. We're going to be here for a while. And I did. I walked out and uh, we, uh, there was probably like more like six or 7,000 people, but I had, yeah, I had my whole crew and some support staff from the airport gather. They they did it on a bullhorn. They they uh, set it over the bullhorn. Everybody, listen. We can't get to everybody. Everybody, if you if you if you if you're, uh, I'll stop with the accent. We can't get to everybody if you're out of control. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna gather all your photos. And Jonathan's going to go into the back and sign them all one by one as quickly as possible. And then just you need to line up and he's going to run down the line and hand them to you. And if you want to take a picture, get your phones out, get ready, uh, cameras out, and he'll take a picture. But it's we got to do it quick because he wants every single one of you 
out of the goodness of his heart, because he's a good guy. He wants every single one of you to get what you came for. Mm. So, as you know, most people aren't like this. He is. So please, please uh, bear with us and, and stay in order. And they all did. So we got all their pictures and went in the back. And, you know, I we all started signing my signature. Yeah. We had to. <laughs> Yeah. It was the only way it was the only way we'd get through all of them. So, yeah. you know, but I took the whole stack uh, or they, you know, kept handing me stack after stack uh, as we were walking down the line. And I literally walked through like by that time, and, you know, a lot of people had left by the time I had gotten down, all the way down the line because it took mm-hmm. so long. But mm-hmm. we didn't leave the airport and we got there at like three o'clock and we didn't leave until 11 about 11 p.m yeah i mean and it was like this everywhere prague australia australia was the craziest uh but everywhere latin america or south america everywhere was fucking nuts and you know i mean it didn't really go to my head um i stayed very very normal and very very chill um but you know i started making a lot more money than I had ever made. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't dumb with my money. I was buying properties and, and, uh, buying investment properties and, and, uh, you know, but also buying cars and Rolexes and, you know, like a maniac, you know, I mean, I had a crazy collection of cars and Rolexes. And I mean, I still have a lot of that, but you know, I ended up selling a bunch of it, you know, uh, when the recession hit, you know, I lost millions and millions of dollars and, Mm. and, uh, listen, I've had my ups and downs too. Luckily, luckily I've been pretty good with my money and, uh, been able to sustain, you know, the ups and downs of, uh, life and family and a wife with a, uh, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, unusual fine taste in, <laughs> um, in the finer things in Just life. Best way I've ever heard anyone describe that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Of course, That's the best schools, the years, hasn't it? <laughs> oh God, let me tell you, like the, and just this i mean how's how's forty thousand dollars a year for kindergarten per kid yeah. you know what i mean uh like you know <clears throat> so you know i was like they're finger painting for forty thousand dollars a year each <laughs> I, I can teach them how to finger paint okay right we, we don't have to pay eighty thousand dollars of uh, money that you cannot declare or you can, it's it's it, it, it we can't declare this you know what i mean we can't write this off uh it's private school you know and yeah. whatever you know at the time i fought it but now uh in hindsight my wife was right listen we're uh, and everybody thinks their kids are angels you know but like i'm telling you and i have no idea it's not because of me i'm telling <laughs> you my kids are like we're the luckiest parents on the planet. I don't know how they turned out the way they did. You know, like today, my son was upstairs. He, 
uh, for Christmas uh, and Hanukkah because uh, I'm a Jew. Um, my wife isn't, but um, he got he, he got a new computer like a month ago, and then he wanted a different box for his tower. You know, mm-hmm. the tower of the computer. So he bought mm-hmm. this new box. So he had to take the whole thing apart. And I'm talking about a brand new, like state of the art computer, right? Like that. And by the way, he bought it and put it together a month ago. Mm-hmm. And because he bought all separate pieces. And yeah, my today, son <laughs> yeah. And today he fucking did it again, but like did half of it in front of me. And I was like, how do you even know how to do this? Like that's engineer shit. You know what I mean? Like, and, and then, you know, obviously his martial arts and parkour, like, and I was an athlete, but like, I was never able to stand on the cement right in front of you and just do a backflip like Uh, Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Crazy, right? He's literally like Spider-Man. Like he can run up a wall and do a backflip or run down the street. And if a car is coming at him, he can do a front flip over the car. Wow. He's literally a, 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 a real living Spider-Man. <laughs> it's crazy. And by the way, he's six foot two at 15 wow. years. And he just turned 15 in November and wow. I'm five eleven, So he's already like, <clears throat> you know, like if he if he doesn't grow anymore, he's already like a fucking god. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> he is because he can the way his parkour and in, in water polo and martial arts like, and he's like doesn't give a shit about girls uh, or, or guys. Like he's not even interested in you know uh, women yet relationships like my daughter on the other hand 13 years old she's a firecracker she's you know he's the angel she's the firecracker but you know they she's still an angel you know what mm-hmm. i mean she's just got a little bit more you know uh, swagger and swagger, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah she's a little more like mom so uh but anyway you know like it's not because of me maybe a little bit but they turned out like i just have no idea how they turned out the way they turned out it's just it's beyond me but whatever anyway i know i've rambled and hopefully i haven't ruined your whole podcast of course not not. not. all right go ahead ask me any other last question okay tell me what advice you would give to an entrepreneur just starting out what would you tell them is like the biggest thing that they need to know okay i'm going to answer your question but i want to ask you a question first have i would you have asked me like a hundred more questions if I wouldn't have rambled on as much as I did? <laughs> Probably a few more, John. <laughs> you can ask me them really quick and I won't ramble at all. You can ask me them really quick. Okay, all right. So we'll do, let, we'll let, do, let me, let me answer. You can we'll do fire round. Five, right? So that's the first okay, question. We'll do a fire round. Okay. So ask me the question again. What okay. would I tell? What would you tell a new entrepreneur who is just starting their business and they're probably a little like they've got some self-doubt and they've got some stuff going on, those limiting beliefs kicking in. What would with you tell t- them? In today's world with the COVID situation? Just in general. And any, okay. I mean, the COVID situation to me is, is just 
uh, as an entrepreneur, it's a test in your yeah yeah your endurance and your drive. Like how bad it is, it is, but it does it, it absolutely changes, uh, in my opinion, the way an entrepreneur. Uh, uh, or, 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 or most entrepreneurs would think. Now, there's the one percentile that, in my belief system, there's the one percentile that doesn't give a shit about COVID and they're going to do what they're going to do regardless, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but the best advice I could give an entrepreneur is like, you know, and I hate to sound like, you know, uh, I'm sure redundant uh, or uh, like a broken record and say the same thing that everybody else says but like i would tell them that no matter regardless of what anybody says to you uh about uh you know taking leaps of faith or you know in uh, like i said like cannonballs of faith um don't listen to anybody um do whatever your heart tells you that uh, that you can do. And by the way, like if you can't, if you think you can't afford something and you're afraid to take that leap of faith, fuck it. Take that leap of faith. You'll make yourself, uh, uh, be able to afford it, uh, afterwards. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, don't be afraid about, you know, uh, not being able to, uh, fund things or, you know, don't worry about money. It's because if you have that passion and you have that belief, and even if you have that self doubt, you know, allow that to work for you Mm -hmm. and just look in the mirror and say, you know what? Two best words in the world. Fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Look in the mirror, say to yourself, fuck it fuck them the other two best words in the world and just go for it man no matter what uh you know just make it happen that's it there because there's no secret you know what i mean you either go for it and make it happen or you don't you know what i mean yeah uh that's it you know um you know i did what's his name's hair uh can't even remember his fucking name. Uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, Leo. No. Yeah. Well, I did Leo's hair for fifteen years before he was a big. Well, at the beginning of his career. Oh, Michael but Douglas. The, no, no, no. The real Wolf of Wall. Oh, the Street. real Wolf. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know the the the, the, the guy, guy that was the yeah the real Wolf. Um, I have his book. Uh, he, you know, signed it for me. I did his hair all the time. And, you know, you want to talk about a fucking entrepreneur and a maniac and a money fucking monger. Like this guy was a genius. He really was. And although he ruined his life and he fucked things up and he, you know, uh, uh, you know, took the wrong, went down the wrong paths. He was still an insane entrepreneur and could make shit happen you know and uh what's that because he believed it because he believed he could because because he believed it and you know what i don't even think it's honestly i don't think it's because he believed it i don't think it's because he i think it was more out of fear 
for this guy and that's how i kind of like was able to relate to uh, that's how like a lot of these people that are entrepreneurs a lot of them are uh, fear driven you know what mm-hmm. i mean it's either it's either uh you either in life you come from a one of two places fear or love you know what yeah. i mean and i've yeah. always said i've always said uh why not both you know what i mean so like for me, fear, the fear factor has always been a big drive uh, driver in, in my life, you know, where I was always uh, afraid of failure. I was kind of afraid of success. And that's why I was always like, fuck it. You know what I mean? Um, just go for it, you know? Uh, so anyway. All right. Question two. Yeah. What is, what do you think is one of the best habits for an entrepreneur to have? Don't be stupid with your money. (laughs) Don't be stupid with your money. Um, You know, of course, of course you can treat yourself, but I beg of every entrepreneur out there. uh, I, I, I beg of them. Uh, I, I pour my heart out and say to them, be smart with your money. You can treat yourself, but like put money away. If you don't save money, you'll never, ever later on in life uh, be able to chill and relax. You know, you might be, you might have a great life and have tons of money when you're young and, and, you know, gung ho, but like later on in life, you know, shit changes and you know it it it, it is a world of like youth you know and when you get up into your 50s it's like some people don't have that same fire anymore or don't look at you the same anymore or don't want your talents like they did when you were younger and you know you might not have the same opportunities and if you don't put your money away and you don't invest your money wisely when you're younger when you have it you might not have that opportunity again Mm. you know yeah or you know just you when you hit you know a certain age anyways even if you're starting a business in your 50s like put your money away because there's gonna be it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how old you are yeah Yeah. listen and and, there's gonna be a day you want to chill Absolutely. And listen, I, like I said to you, you know, I am kind of doing starting something and, you know, uh, it, it's not inexpensive and, you know, I'm taking another cannonball of faith and, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of like, uh, a, a not becoming a new entrepreneur again, you mm. know, and, uh, you know, so I'm having to take my own old advice, you know, yeah. which, by the way, is harder for me now at 50 or at 50, I'm 53. You know, it's harder mm-hmm. for me now because, you know, first of all, you know, the cost of living, you know, having children and a big home and, you know, uh, life. And, and then you throw COVID into the mix and what that's done to my income and, uh, you know, is, is crazy, especially right in the middle of me trying to make this other shit happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, 
drastically more difficult. And, uh, but you know what the bottom line is, is that I'm going to fucking do it anyway. I don't give a shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? If it, if I spend my last penny making it happen, uh, it doesn't matter to me because I've been there before. I know what it's like to spend not my last penny, but I, I know what it's like to spend uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to make something happen that I don't even have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, or that I didn't have at that time. I went out and bought, you know, uh, cars that, uh, you know, I knew were going to go up in value and, and going to be, you know, uh, collectibles and <clears throat> property that I knew was going to go up in value. And uh, 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 even a few businesses that I invested into that, like, I didn't really have that money, but like, you know, I, I t- took loans out and and borrowed, and you know, some of them went really well. Some of them were fucking bombs, you know. But like, thank God, more of them went well than the alternative, you know, right. uh, or than the opposite. But uh, either way, you still have to you still got to fucking go for it because if you don't go for it, you don't jump in wholeheartedly. It's never really going to happen unless you fucking win the lottery. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's never going to happen unless you win the lottery. And by the way, you know, you don't have to, you know, there's the other side of life where, you know, you can have a, a regular job and you can make, 80 to 150 grand a year uh, or or, uh, you can make 65 to 150 grand a year, depending on your living situation. If you're single, Mm -hmm. you know, you might live in a state where $65,000 a year can afford you uh, a decent lifestyle where you can buy, you know, a hundred thousand dollar home, you know, Uh, uh, and you, you might be single and, you know, whatever, you know, being a fucking mailman or a, a, I don't know, you know, whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, but that might be, uh, you might be able to live a very comfortable, uh, uh, peaceful life doing that. That also, there's something to be said for that too. I'm a big fan of those people that like, you know, uh, have been working for UPS uh, for the last, 40 years and you know they're making uh 38 dollars an hour or whatever and you know it's eighty thousand seventy thousand dollars a year but they have this insane retirement fund and you know uh they're going to be able to retire and you know like uh you know they 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 live in you know they live well within their means and you know they're going to retire and you know they're going to have uh, a chill life you know there's something to really be said for that you know yeah. what i mean and that's success to them yeah i mean that's success to them and you know it is all relative you know um you mm-hmm. know i've 
I have friends that make uh, a tenth of what I make, and, but their bills are a tenth of what mine are. And, you know, I say to them, listen, uh, sometimes I feel like I would trade places with you uh, uh, three out of uh, three out of seven days a week because mm-hmm. like, you know, like the what I have, yeah, I know you see what I have and, you know, you think, uh, you know, you Google me and my net worth, which by the way, it's all nonsense, that net worth (laughs) thing. Um, But like, you know, uh, like, it, 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 and it, it sounds is all so glamorous and it, it sounds, sounds like this so what they glamorous, want. but it, it it ain't that fucking glamorous you know and you know it like your situation there's a lot less stress and there's a lot to be said for that you know so yeah, everyone's answer is definition is that's different. it that's it answer to the question is be fucking smart with your money. That's it. You know, yeah. invest, invest in save, 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 save and invest, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm sorry. I rambled forever, yeah. but you know, no, it's, fine. It. it's you. I'm a ram- I know. You. I know. I know. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, I wish you all the best. And uh, let me know when it's going to, or is it already? Uh, is no, live? it's not. It's not live yet. So, okay. Right. Um, but let, yeah. So, let me know. And uh, I mean, I'm not a big uh, Instagram or I'm not big in social, you know. Uh, I mean, I have a few followers, obviously, but uh, I, I, I'm not big in uh, um, in social media, but I'm becoming or starting to. <clears throat> I'm starting to get ready to, uh, you know, uh, with a secret pivot. <laughs> with the secret pivot, get more into my world of social media. Yes. All right. Well, everyone, if you want to know what Jonathan's secret pivot is, go find him on Instagram. Um, exactly. And stay tuned. tuned. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jonathan. All right. You're very welcome. Thank you. Take care. Have you ever wondered why some days you're so energized that whipping through actions in your business is a breeze and others you feel like you just want to go back to bed, pull the covers over and totally retreat from the world? Maybe there are weeks where everything feels easier and the abundance is flowing while others feel like you're smashing your head on a brick wall and resistance seems to rule leading to a shit ton of trash talk going on in your head. If you're anything like me and most entrepreneurs, you've tried to just push through and keep hustling even when your mind, body, and soul are crying out for rest. Because that's what we've been taught we need to do to be successful. Go, 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 24-7. What if I told you it doesn't have to be that way? Imagine just for a moment that you could create an abundant, profitable business without living on the edge of exhaustion and burnout. What if you could totally enjoy your business in a state of joy, ease, and flow? What if you could find that healthy balance of business, life, and self without the guilt of not being on all the time? Well, using the power and energy of the lunar cycles, you can. When you work with the cycles of the moon, you create more flow and ease. There's less just surviving and more thriving. Knowing when to floor the gas pedal and when to hit the brake, you'll no longer need to push or force your way forward. 
Instead, you can switch into receiving mode, flowing with the natural energies of the moon. You don't always have to be on in order to be successful and get big things done. In fact, it's not natural or healthy and could even be a barrier to the ultimate success of your business. So I want to introduce you to Moon Circle Magic. In this vibration-raising monthly membership community, I'm bringing you energetic, spiritual, and practical ways, mixing the woo with the do, that allows you to have a business and or life that you truly enjoy and totally reflects who you are using the moon's phases and energy. I've created a safe and supportive space that allows you full permission to find you and your personal fulfillment, self-love, abundance, confidence, and to connect with your intuition so you learn to lead from your soul and have the passionate, profitable business you want. The link to this is in the show notes, or you can visit my website at www.theelevatedentrepreneur.net.